Hey guys, welcome to the Chris Stefanik Show. The Lord loves you so much, it's ridiculous. And so do I. <laughs> Listen, God doesn't want to crush what's inside of you. As you follow him, you find that he wants to raise up who you are and what's inside of you. He doesn't want you to become someone else or to beat you into submission or make you something that you're not. He wants to fulfill what it means to be you. You know, frankly, whenever evangelization happens in the right way and the gospel enters a culture, there's something beautiful called enculturation. Yeah, there's parts that don't fit that have to be thrown away. You know, like if you, the church goes into a culture where they're sacrificing babies, well, that's got to go, right? But there's parts of that culture that should be raised up and nourished. And not only does that bring more beauty to the culture to be infused with the light of grace, it brings more beauty to the church and to the gospel to have all that included within the life of the church. This is what he does within the soul, within each one of us. And when we don't get that, when we have a relationship with God, that's more like, I think God wants to beat me into a submission. I think the church wants to beat out these natural tendencies in me so that I can therefore be a follower of Jesus. It produces something strange, either an unhappy follower of the Lord who's living half a life and you could see it from afar. It's like, that's a, just a, not an inspiring person. Maybe a person who looks like they're stiff and repressed and just, I don't know, trying to fit a mold that's not who they are, right? But when it, when it happens in the right way, and you could see someone where the beauty is raised up within them. I mean, this is this is a, a principle in parenting. You know, if, if I try to crush things out of my kids to make them fit the life of my family, it breaks their spirit. It, when I do that, I could see it breaking their spirit. Good parenting is when I'm calm and I see what's within them and say, where's this behavior coming from? It's maybe expressing in the wrong way. I want to try to raise that up. I want to try to nurture it in the right way instead of crushing it out of this person. Today, we're going to talk all about men. I think society today has seen tendencies within men, and we see it within our boys, that we treat as a fire to be put out rather than something beautiful to be nourished. And we wonder why men are just checking out not getting married, not becoming priests. We're talking about the vocation crisis to priesthood. There's a vocation crisis to manhood. They're not showing up in general because all we can seem to say to men today is what we want to crush out of them. You know, I've heard that if you're training a horse, if you break it in the wrong way, it never quite recovers. It's always a little bit afraid of the people trying to ride it. If you break it in the right way, the first time someone's riding it, it's the most beautiful ride ever. It's just this full blast of energy and life in one direction. Why? Because for the first time, that horse is experiencing all the natural powers and tendencies within itself directed in one powerful direction. It's all unleashed. It's not squashed. It's directed beautifully. This is how we have to see what's within man. Men have natural tendencies to things that make us very uncomfortable today. Tendencies to want to express power, dominance, and authority. And just like the word masculinity itself, which when you hear it, you frequently insert the word toxic in front of it, we've come to try to crush all these tendencies out of men. I gave a talk about this recently and about how when you approach men in the right way, with the light of the gospel, infusing all these things within men, it puts them at the service of mankind as an unstoppable, beautiful force. Before we dive into that, Oh, and by the way, during the talk, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you how to get a free uh, program for free. It's usually for sale, but you can bypass the paywall. Listen carefully during the talk. It's a program called Rise. 
about how to recover your masculine identity in the right healthy way. And, and there's different small groups with this. So you can get together with friends. I, I know some people hear the word small group and they think when we die, good people go to heaven and bad people are split into small groups. <laughs> right? Don't be afraid. A good small group, good fellowship, it makes life so much better. But the, the RISE program has daily meditations and weekly small groups. I challenge you, get together with friends and do this. So that's all in there. Uh, but before we dive into the talk and how to get that program, I just want to thank you guys for rolling with us. You've noticed in our show, it's something different every week. You know, one week I'm in Hawaii, like vlog style, and I got my cameras and I'm filming myself and asking people in the room to film for me. This week is a talk I'm giving. Uh, thanks for just growing with us and whatever inspiration's flowing out, letting it bless you. Uh, I encourage you to do a couple things. One, share this stuff. A lot of times we just share stuff that's kind of goofy and stupid from social media or stuff that's controversial. Share stuff that's uplifting. But also, I want to encourage you, jump off the sidelines and jump in. You're going to see this show in the months ahead grow in quality. We're, we're working on getting a studio space that's really beautiful. We'll have live guests in the studio. We'll keep mixing it with live stuff from the world, talk clips, all that stuff. But you're going to be blown away by what happens in the year ahead but I need your help to do it. So go to reallifecatholic.com, become a missionary of joy today. We pour back into you with live webinars and stuff. We have a, a webinar with Father Mike Schmitz really soon. And our missionaries of joy are gonna have access to watch that live. We'll have my computer open while I hang out with Father Mike and you'll be able to ask him questions too. Uh, so jump in, jump in and help us to bless the world. God bless you guys. Here's that talk. Men, the world has never needed you more, and wanted you less at the same time. I, I created a beautiful program for men called Rise, and I'll tell you at the end of uh, the talk how to get that. Um, but my videographer for that program was so excited after filming it, he told me that he went and shared about it with a friend, and he told his friend, this program is about helping men get in touch with true masculinity, and he said, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> that he had to pause and clarify. See, because he knows, as we all know, that when someone hears the word masculinity, what word do they automatically insert in front of that? Toxic. Never the word beautiful masculinity, strong, life-giving. And not only does the word masculinity make people think toxic, even words traditionally associated with masculinity have come to make us uncomfortable. What do you feel in your gut when I say in the context of masculinity, the words authority, dominance, power, virility. I, I know the first thing you think of is Chris Stefanik, or, <laughs> or, or maybe Father Mike Schmitz, who, by the way, if it weren't for that guy, I would be the world's handsomest evangelist. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> But be honest, guys, those words have come to make us uncomfortable. Those are things we want to neuter out of boys rather than nurture in them. Those are fires to be put out. T.S. Eliot describes liberalism, and I'm not talking about the American political scene, but the moral, spiritual reality we live in, as, quote, a movement not so much defined by its ends, and where we're going, as by its starting point away from rather than, rather than towards something definite. Because we've, we've already moved away from 
a world where men dominate in such a way that women can't vote or work or compete or have a voice. And to be clear, that's a really good thing. There are things that should be moved away from when it comes to an unhealthy view of masculinity. But the liberal mindset is to keep moving away and away and away further and further from some imagined patriarchy that doesn't really exist anymore. And a generation of young men are left asking, okay, so who am I supposed to be? What do you, does the world need me at all? And the message they're getting is, there's no definite answer. We just know what we don't want you to be, and we barely need you around. Snow White is being remade in 2024, and the actress playing Snow White re recently was interviewed. She said, this is not 1937. She's not going to be rescued by a prince or be dreaming about true love. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. Because, of course, we know that the reality is that literally every single woman sitting in a cubicle thinking about corporate leadership would rather that a prince fall in love with her. I mean, a prince, a literal prince with a kingdom and a castle? I'm a conservative Catholic man. I'm not sure I'd mind a prince falling in love with me. There's a lot of perks to that experience. But the, sorry. But the message is clear. A man, even a prince with a castle and a kingdom, comes in the way of our fulfillment. And, and men are getting that message, and the result is that men are checking out. They're checking out. 40% of children are born to unmarried women. That's up from 28% in 1990. In inner city communities, it's 70%. One in four kids grows up in a home without a dad present. Did you guys know this? The United States has more single parent homes than any nation on earth. Whoa. 20% of men reported as having cheated. There's a cheating app, and the tag is life is short, have an affair. They boast of having 45 million active users. There are 25% more women than men in church on Sunday. Marriage is plummeting. I met a priest from Canada recently, and he said he's been a priest for two years, and he was so excited to, to marry couples together as a priest and he said he hasn't had a single marriage in two years. And you better believe it's not because men are, 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 are asking people to marry them and everyone's saying no. It's because they're not doing anything. Guys, we have a vocation crisis to priesthood that we frequently talk about. There's a vocation crisis to manhood first. And it's, it's ruining us. It's ruining us because the world needs men who are powerful and present and manly because the world needs fathers. The world needs fathers. To deny this is to deny something in our own souls. Every single person sitting out there, you know you need that. Malachi 3, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with doom. When men don't show up, when there are no fathers, when they're missing in action, the land is stricken with doom. Children without dads are at a four-time greater likelihood of ending up in poverty, seven times more likely to have pregnancy outside of wedlock, which perpetuates that cycle of poverty. Check this out. 85% of kids who struggle with behavioral dis disorders and 70% of the kids who end up in drug rehabs come from the mere 25% of homes without a dad present. 
It's so disproportionate, it's crazy. Fatherless kids are more likely to end up in prison, become addicts, drop out of school. The list is endless. Tell me again why. The big concern is putting out the fires of the patriarchy. The world's going up in flames, guys, because not enough men are showing up. It's literal insanity that the Black Lives Matter organization, which we can distinguish from the movement, had in their mission statement on their website to, quote, dismantle the nuclear family as if inner city kids are going to be helped by less dads? And the American Psychological Association has guidelines to train the harmful effects of what they labeled, quote, traditional masculinity out of boys. This is our big concern today. Put out the fires of toxic masculinity. But you know what? The postmodern deconstructionist liberal mindset is only capable of one question. What's the starting point that we're running away from? Let's keep running. Guys, we could do better. We need to do better for our young men. You know what? We need to do better for this world. We need to present what we should be running toward. And as a pilgrim people, our internal posture is toward, not away from. Who should men be? What does a man offer this world? Look up the word manliness in the dictionary. There's one thing that comes up very quickly, the word virility. It's a great word when you think about it. What is virility? Virility is life-giving power. Can I place before you the most virile man I have ever encountered? And, and no, I'm not talking about you, Father Dave Pavanka. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, behold the man. This is life-giving power. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Yeah. For those who have studied the Shroud of Turin, and if you haven't, by the way, Google Father Spitzer Shroud of Turin. It'll blow your mind. The light required to make the image imprinted on the shroud in the, in the moment of the res resurrection would have been the equivalent of a half a million, 500,000, right, searchlights blasting out of every pore in that guy's body for one forty billionth of a second, or it would have incinerated the cloth. The man the man. That's the power that infuses our lives as Christians with divine life, that even infuses the experience of death with divine life, with hope, even that with joy. My mother-in-law uh, passed away recently. I once heard the joke that Peter never forgave Jesus for healing his mother-in-law. But I... I really loved my mother-in-law for all the mother-in-law jokes. We were very close. And it was, it was a blessed but also rare experience that I, ha I got. But I, I knew this was my last encounter with her. I knew I was saying goodbye. And I was very nervous about this experience. I think it's human nature to be repulsed by, I, I, we're uncomfortable with death. I was also nervous about it because I didn't know expect, to expect from her. She was an intense woman who had been through a lot of pain in life. And would this be the time she'd pour out resentment? But I felt like the Lord just saying to the depths of my heart before I went in to say goodbye to her, Chris, let's watch what I do. Watch what I do. Guys, I walked in that room. There was no anger. There was no resentment. And 
to my shock, there was no fear in her. She was pouring out on everyone gratitude. I walked in, she said, Christopher, oh, I love Christopher. She talked to her husband, her ex-husband, and they'd had a painful divorce and a lot of disappointment in her life because of that. And all she had to say to him was, thank you for being a good man. She talked about death, and she said, how wonderful dying is, because you know that soon all the gloom, all the sadness will be gone, we'll be happy. She went on to say, and our happiness will be complete. What does he do, this giver of life, this true man? He turns a frail, dying woman into a victor over all the powers of hell. Watch what I do. He turns a tomb into a cradle for life, sinners by transforming them with his grace into saints, slaves into free, the greatest pains in our lives into sources of blessing and healing for others, mere mortal Christians like you and me into victors over death. We don't make peace with death by accepting it and disappearing into the void. We make peace with death by looking it in the eye and saying, I win. And why? Because I'm with him. That's why. The man. <laughs> Guys, there is no vision of manly virility that remotely comes close to Jesus Christ. And in a world where we, where we seem unclear about what we want men to be. In fact, we only know what we don't want them to be. We Christians need to step out and step up again in presenting Jesus Christ to the world. He is the answer to the question that is every human life. Because men who become like him, men who become like Jesus are the strong, life-giving, virile brothers, spouses, sons, and fathers that this world needs. Amen? Let's look back at those words we associate with manliness. Words we've come to be repulsed by. Words we've seen as a starting point to depart from. Those words power, authority, and dominance. And let's relook at those words through the lens that is Jesus Christ. And, and for the record, nothing I'm about to say implies any lack in women. To praise one is not to diminish the other. Amen? Well, let's start with power. Guys, men have an inherent need to wield power. And at the risk of overgeneralizing here, my experience with my sons is if I handed one of them a Barbie when they were little, is that they would turn it into a very strangely shaped lightsaber. <laughs> Men have a need to impact, to make a difference. And when they don't have a positive vision to move toward, to do anything with that desire for power to make an impact, you know what happens? They end up having an obsession with money because they perceive that as a path to power. Or, at worst case, they commit crimes. Why? Because if I don't have any power and I don't feel like I matter, you know what, guys? The moment I pull a gun on you, suddenly I'm the most important person in your life. I think this is one of the reasons you see so much violence in inner cities, because it's so common to find men there who feel deprived of power. And nothing's presented to them as a positive way to get it. Guys, we need to show men where real power is found. In the words of John Paul II, his favorite quote from Gaudium et Spes, he constantly said this, that man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. You know where I have found unimaginable power? As a dad. Not because my kids listen to me. They don't. <laughs> but because I get to literally show, not just talk about, but show the love that is God to my children. 
I'll never forget a fight I had with my teenage son. It was one of these low moments as a dad where I found myself thinking, I can't believe my kid is saying this stuff to me right now. Someone should tell him I'm an international evangelist. And I could see he was thinking the same thing, like I can't believe I'm saying this stuff to my dad right now. He had lost control of his mouth. And in one of my finer moments as a father, instead of coming down on him, I just said out loud, I forgive you. And he kept talking, so I said out louder, hey, I forgive you. And he kept talking and mouthing off, and I hugged him and I said, I forgive you. And he cried on my shoulder and said, I'm sorry, Dad. That's the cross. Hey, I'm a messed up kid. I've noticed... I'm your loving father. These are the moments, these painful moments, these moments where I'm brought down to nothing, where I show the love that is God and I experience the power that I have. Just the other day, I had to correct my teenage daughter, who in many ways is a typical angry teenage kid. And it was such an annoying moment, I just wanted to be left alone because of how she had mouthed off to me. But I used my power to overcome myself. And I walked down the hall, and without making up or anything, I just, I just hugged her. That she literally melted into my arms. And she said, I can't wait to feel God the Father's arms around me in heaven someday. John Paul II said that parents are the first heralds of the gospel to their children. Not just the first providers, not just the first teachers. The first heralds of the gospel to show the Father's love in how we love them. And if they don't get that from us, they don't only lose sight of who God is, they lose sight of who they are. Kids who don't know the unconditional love of the Father look for that approval and love and acceptance in the arms of a boy. Or they grow into adults who can't stop working because they're never enough. And, and what they do is them trying to measure up. One of my dear friends is an advisor for Fortune 500 companies. He, he's told the most powerful CEOs in the world how to run their businesses, and they listened to him. And I asked him, how many of the men that you counsel have, have profound father wounds? He said, every single one of them. They are so successful, and they're so tired. Yes, I love telling my kids I'm proud of them when they've done nothing. Why? Because you're mine. That's why. I love using this phrase that I, I recently started using with them. I delight in you. And I have no idea how to gracefully drop that into the middle of a conversation. <laughs> so we're just driving to school. I just, I delight in you. What? No, I just want you to know that just you sitting there and me just looking at you, it just makes me happy. Guys, this is power to convey the Father's love and the power of spousal love too. As a spouse uh, to Natalie, I, I'm, I'm the luckiest man alive. But also, I, I, I rejoice in the power God has given me to bless her, to, bl to have made her a mom. And now she's a grandma. Wow. Praise God. But I've thought many times, like, what if I didn't man up? And what if no one did? And she was alone at this phase in her life, and there was no one there to treasure her as I do. That's such a sad thought to me, but what an honor that I got to be the one to gift that to her. Man finds himself and his true power for impact through a sincere gift of self. How about this word? Authority. 
The world really hates this one. Authority. We don't want men who know their authority. Men who create boundaries to protect those they love. Men who are comfortable using the word no. In fact, we prefer to weed those kind of guys out, don't we? And the more domineering and dominating a secularized society gets, the more aggressive we get about weeding that kind of man out. I was reading Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. Um, really depressing book. <clears throat> and he shared about how this one time during his speech, every time someone said the name Stalin, the room would burst into applause, even people who didn't like Stalin. And one time someone said Stalin, and everybody started to clap standing up, and they were applauding, standing ovation, just for the name of Stalin. And they looked around, and everyone was afraid to stop clapping because they might be perceived as dis disloyal. Everyone was afraid to sit down. 20 minutes went by. People were passing out. They had to be brought to the hospital. They were having heart problems because they were clapping so hard for 20 minutes. The first man who decided enough and sat down went missing the next day. <laughs> that one might know his own authority. That one isn't going along to get along. That one doesn't bow to the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Let's get rid of him. We want men who just know how to get along. We don't like men who don't. We even repaint Jesus as being that guy. Guys, Jesus, and when people say be like Jesus, what they often mean is just be nice. I hate to break the news to y'all. Jesus was not nice. Jesus was love, and love isn't always nice. He loved the sinner, amen? But as part of that, he called sin a sin because his love demanded that he do so. He welcomed everyone into his kingdom to receive him as king. That's how you got in. He didn't welcome with no conditions. What the heck? We actually think he did that? Guys, the kingdom of God isn't a place. It's a relationship with a person who, if he has a authority over you, He's your king and you're in the kingdom. And if he doesn't, you're not. But people don't like that Jesus anymore. The Jesus with boundaries, with authority, with actual rules for following him and being his disciple. Especially when it comes to sexual ethics. Nor do we think it's Jesus-like when we as a church behave that way and we're clear about things. We should only and always welcome, hmm, someone should have told Paul, who told Timothy, encourage and rebuke. Who told Titus, encourage and and encouraged by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. Who was clear about mercy and acceptance and welcoming and going out and getting the world in, but was also literally clear about excluding people and kicking them out when they walk through our doors while openly rejecting the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. And why was he clear about that? Because he was a preacher and pastor, but also a father to the flock whose love for his flock demanded that he protect them from wolves. When leadership in the church pits, they pit clear teaching against welcoming, as if those things possibly can't coexist. When, when they push to make moral teachings of the church vague in the name of welcome, they're not behaving as fathers. They're not behaving in a way that's worthy of the title we all give them. Fathers guard what's precious to them. They guard the deposit of faith. They guard the flock. Amen? The same is true at home, guys. Men in their homes, in their domestic church, should guard the flock. 
I once saw a kid with a t-shirt that said, I'm the kid your parents are worried about. <clears throat> Thanks for letting me know you're not coming to my house. <laughs> hey guys, yeah, I, I spent years in youth ministry. That's the kind of kid I want to go out and get. But as a dad, I put the dad hat on. My first obligation is to protect my kids. I want to save the world, but protect my kids first. Me and Natalie, when we were uh, younger in marriage, moved into a little neighborhood in Wisconsin, and our, our neighbor was a lesbian. And, and I'm not talking about a same-sex attracted, holy Catholic lesbian, but very much practicing this lifestyle. And she was shocked by how much we as Catholics loved her. Because everything she heard about us was like, you, you guys have uh, sharp teeth and claws and green skin, right? You're monsters. <clears throat> She was equally shocked that when we were hanging out, I played the Indigo Girls on my guitar. She's like, what? This isn't fitting my whole worldview about you guys. She knew that we loved her. She knew we, we accepted her in our home. But I had one conversation with her where I told her, look, my kids don't know about same-sex attraction. They're little kids. And I don't want to plant that in their imaginations at a young age because it might confuse them or have their life take a trajectory that it wouldn't have otherwise taken if they didn't start imagining it. So you're welcome in, but if you come by with your girlfriend, I don't want you to snuggle in front of my kids or kiss her in front of my kids. You know what I wasn't thinking of in that moment, guys? Her feelings. Since when did the feelings of adults become more important than the feelings of children? When did the feeling of, uh, feelings of a movement of adults become more important than children and how they feel or whether or not they're confused? If you live in a school district that's pushing agendas down your kids' throats, stop allowing that with the word no. And if it doesn't work, pull your kids. And if your kids don't like that, since when did it matter to a dad who knows his authority what his kid likes? I mean, am I missing something here? We're reaching this fevered pitch of insanity because every man has just kept clapping. Stop. Stop. Of course, this is just one example, but every time you take up your authority, the world doesn't like it. So what? Power. Authority. Here's the one we like even less, the word dominance. Dominance. Every young man has a desire to dominate in their hearts, to crush it. My own son, I'll never forget, after watching Lord of the Rings, he was literally almost crying about the fact that he lived in our world rather than Tolkien's because he so badly wanted to kill an orc. <clears throat> what do you do with that desire? Put the fire out. Neuter it. No, nurture it. You know what happens when men don't have a positive outlet for their desire to dominate? Here's what happens. They spend their lives in violent video games and increasingly violent porn because at least there they can dominate in secret. We're not supposed to just crush all these things out of people but nurture them in the right way. And how do they live out their desire to dominate? Where do we send them? Where's the orc? Where's the dragon to slay? Guys, you find it when you find that love that's worth dying for. Whatever your vocation might be. You want to find the dragon? Look for the princess in the castle. I found my dragon when I got married. No, Natalie's not my dragon. I'm not saying that. But I entered marriage thinking I would slay dragons for my beloved. 
for the sake of love. And as I shared in my talk last year, and she'll share in our breakout session this afternoon, I found out um, 10 years into our marriage that my wife was the victim of childhood sexual abuse. And she started to deal with that wound 10 years into our marriage. And as she did, it kicked up every wound in me, wounds I had no idea that I had. The pain of feeling rejection while she needed to heal and couldn't be intimate with me because I embodied everything that had hurt her as a male. The temptation I felt to lust because I couldn't physically satisfy as a disciple of Jesus. I had no idea what to do with, with all this temptation. And the, the, the feeling of helplessness that I couldn't just fix it. That kicked up all the wounds in me, the unhealthiness in me. That I had this burden that I carried around of having to make everybody happy. That wasn't from God. And I looked at all this and I just wanted to, I literally wanted to run away. But face to face with my beloved on the other side of all that stuff, I realized that the moat I would have to cross and the dragons I'd have to slay for my bride, they were inside of me. The call of the gospel to men is not to crush your desire to dominate. No, no, no. It's a call to dominate yourself. Who's the conqueror of the world? The man who's conquered himself. Who's conquered that wound he'd rather not deal with. That lust he'd rather be left alone with in private. That selfishness he'd rather hold on to. So that having dominated himself, he might make of himself a gift to another. And when you embrace that pattern of dying and rising, you become one of those rare, unstoppable men who when you're around them, you can feel this surging force of life in their peaceful presence. I think of St. Maximilian Kolbe, who was imprisoned in Auschwitz for speaking against the Nazis. And if you're a devout Catholic, you guys know the story. And, you know, you're at Napa Conference. Most of you are you're like Shiite Catholics. You're hardcore. <laughs> but there's a detail in the story, though, that a lot of people don't know, and I want to share this with you. But as the story goes... Father Maximilian Kolb was in Auschwitz when a prisoner escaped. And to terrify all the other prisoners out of ever thinking about escaping, they would line them all up, walk slowly down the line, and pick them one at a time. You, you. They picked 14 prisoners to go into a starvation bunker. A little room where they'd slam the door shut, no food, no water till they died. It was a horrible way to die. And one of the men chosen that day fell to his knees. What about my wife? What about my children? And Father Colby stepped out of line, which itself would be, be a death sentence. He walked right past all the guards, right past the guard dogs, and stood right in front of the man who had all the power and authority and dominance in all the wrong ways in Auschwitz. The commander at Auschwitz. Here he is facing the false man. The type of man we should be moving away from. And he said, what do you want? I want to take that man's place. What are you, crazy? I'm a Catholic priest. In other words, yes, I'm crazy, but in a, in a really good way. <laughs> and he said, go ahead, switch them out, which itself was another miracle. But here's the thing, guys, that, that a lot of people don't know about. People who survived that day and were there to watch this interaction between 
Father Colby, this emaciated prisoner, and the commander at Auschwitz, remember that the commander at Auschwitz was shaking in the presence of Father Colby. He was shaking in the presence of this inner power of this man. Twelve days later, by the way, instead of hearing howls of pain, they heard people praising God all week. Twelve days later, he was the last one alive. They injected him with carbolic acid. His last act was to bless the men who killed him. Brothers and sisters, all the powers of hell and darkness tremble before a true man of God who's dominated all the powers within himself and because of that is able to make a gift of himself in love. The world we live in has defined well what we don't want from men, what we don't need them to be anymore. The world has defined what we're moving away from, and some of it for the better. As a church, it's time for us to raise up a new standard of what we do want from men. Because the world sure isn't doing it, and the future of this world depends on it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Tell you this. Thank God. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I wasn't standing here for more applause, though I did appreciate that. The Rise program I mentioned at the beginning, by the way, if you want to get that in your inbox, if you text the word men, M-E-N, to the phone number 66866. That's men to the number 66866. You'll get a link to it for free. I love you guys. What a great honor to speak with you today. Thank you guys so much for watching. I hope that spoke to your heart. Whether you're a man or someone who's got men in your life that you want to share that with, I hope the message that you heard in that message, in that talk, was that God doesn't want to crush what's within you but raise it up. So don't be afraid of him. Give yourself to him. And don't try to squash all those natural tendencies, but ask the Lord, how do I live this longing, this tendency out in a healthy way? Because he's got a plan for your life and he loves you. Make sure you subscribe and share and comment, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>